This morning for our sermon, we will be finishing out chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel. We will be considering this morning verses 34 to 42 of chapter 10. Again, this morning we will be looking at uh, chapter 10, verses 34 to 42. This is the word of the Lord. Give ear to it. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our most righteous and holy God, we come to you this morning. And we give you thanks, dear Lord, for this portion of your word. We thank you, Father, that Jesus pulled no punches when he spoke to his disciples. We thank you, Lord, for... Uh, the guidance and the inspiration uh, of the Holy Spirit who bore the Apostle Matthew up as he wrote these words. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, for that portion of it which You give to us this morning. And we ask, Father, that You would indeed instruct us, that You would teach us, and that You would gently humble us to take up our crosses and to follow the Lord Jesus. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you have seen, as we've been working our way through uh, the 10th chapter of Matthew, you have seen that the focus of chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel has been on Jesus preparing His disciples to be sent out, to be sent out to preach the good news. He said earlier in this chapter that He's sending them out as sheep amidst wolves. And Jesus has been preparing them, therefore, of the challenges that they are going to face as they go out. And he says that these challenges will primarily take the form of persecution. So in our passage this morning, Jesus warns his disciples of another challenge that they are going to face. And they will face this challenge because of him. He says that they will have painful divisions in their closest relationships because of the Lord Jesus. Now, he had already given them a warning about this in in chapter 10, verses 21 to 22, when he said, Brother will deliver brother over to death, the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus is talking here about the divisions that happen because of him. And we will see in this passage 
Jesus says, I come bearing a sword, not peace. And we'll see that the sword that Jesus bears is the cross itself. The cross is that dividing instrument which separates father from son, which separates mother from daughter. The cross divides households. There is one thing, Jesus says, that is thicker than blood. And it is union with Christ. It is the cross itself. And those who embrace Jesus Christ, those who would be His disciples, He says, must love Him more than they love their own child. Well, some of you may be familiar with Kaim Potok's novel, uh, uh, My Name is Asher Lev. Some of you have read this, some of you maybe have not. This book is not about a person who converts to Christianity. It is about a family. Uh, it's a novel. It's a fictionalization. It's about a family who is a part of a, a very strict Hasidic sect within Judaism. And the father is a, is a, very, uh, 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 a very close uh, uh, compatriot of the rabbi of the sect. His son has been given a, a very unique gift. He has, a, has an amazing talent for art, for art, for painting. And the son, Asher, and his father grow further and further apart as he pursues this gift. Because in, in Hasidic Judaism, artistry, painting, is forbidden. Well, this division separates this family. And the only uh, representation that Asher has. The only thing that he has at his disposal is something outside of his own tradition. The only way that he can depict the division that has taken place within his own family because of his artwork is the crucifixion. And so Asher, when he's around 17 or 18 years old, he has a show in New York City. He lives in Brooklyn. And the, and the centerpiece of this show is his, his artwork, his piece of art called Brooklyn Crucifixion. And it's about the division that has taken place in his own family. And it shows his mother who has been divided by the cross. Now, Asher has not converted to Christianity. And so I don't mean to, to depict that this is an exact representation of what Jesus is talking about in these verses. And yet you see that the cross here, the cross is representative of the division that takes place. The, the division that takes place within families. Well, after this art show, after Asher has displayed this piece of art, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Crucifixion, uh, for all to see, he is banished by his family. He is shipped out. He goes overseas. He lives for the next 20 years in Europe. He's been divided by his family. He returns home only uh, at the death uh, of, a, of a member of his family. Well, it gives you at least a, a small illustration of what Jesus is talking about here. It's different, yes. It's not identical to what Jesus is talking about. But the point is that the cross divides. The cross divides. And as you take up your cross, as you follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be divisions in your family, among loved, loved ones. This is what Jesus is taking. But what he's saying here is he expects us to take up the cross. Because he says, I have not come to bring peace on the earth. I have come to bring a sword. So in these verses, Jesus commands you to take up your cross. But he expects you to have the full knowledge that doing so will bring the sword of division between you and the ones you love. But he also wants to remind you in these verses 
that believing in Jesus Christ, taking up your cross, even though it results in division in your family members, it unites you in a different way and in a new way. It unites you to the body of Christ. You are given, in spite of this division, you are given a new family. You're given a new father and a new mother. You're given brothers and sisters in Christ. So what we might lose in a house divided by the cross, we will more than regain in fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers in Christ. And I would ask you now to think about this as we work our way through these verses. Jesus took up His cross, which set His Father against Him, also that sinful people could find life in Him and be reconciled to His Father. Jesus Christ took up His cross, which set His Father against Him, also that sinful people could find life in Him and be reconciled to His Father. The house of Christ, the the house of God, was ripped asunder at that moment on the cross. It was divided because of our sin, which Jesus bore. Also that you and I could become a part of the household of God. I've divided this passage into three sections. The first, verses 34 to 37, divided by the cross. The second, verses 38 to 39, take up your cross. And then finally, the third, verses 40 to 42, unified by the cross. Let's look first now at verses 34 to 37, divided by the cross. It is sadly ironic that Jesus, whose birth, you remember, was heralded with declarations of peace between sinners and God, he knew very little peace during his time of ministry on earth. Jesus, he was called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9. Jesus, He said to His disciples in John 14 that He leaves peace with them. He gives peace to them. This same Jesus tells His disciples in verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus knows. Jesus' purpose is in part to bring conflict to the earth. Jesus has come to advance His Father's kingdom. And that will inevitably bring about warfare between the forces of the kingdom and the forces of Satan. So Jesus says here, I have come bearing a sword. Well, what do we know about swords? Swords are inherently militant. Swords are intended for combat. A sword divides, doesn't it? It it cuts in half. It is designed... To cut apart, not to mend back together. You don't use a sword to suture a wound. And to be sure, it is the sword that, uh, through which union is brought about and peace is maintained. You see this even in our own society. We maintain a military in order to maintain peace. And yet peace is, is the, the hoped-for byproduct of the sword. And we'll get to that in the third section of, of this sermon this morning. But in these verses, the emphasis is on conflict, is on division. Jesus brings a sword. Jesus is a sword. Jesus is described in Romans chapter 9 and 1 Peter chapter 2 as the stone of stumbling. He is the rock of offense. And as one commentator has said, the entrance of Christ into this world divides in two, it splits apart, it cleaves asunder, and in so doing, it sets or turns one person against another. 
This is what Jesus has come to do. And it is because of Jesus that the disciples, the families of His disciples, will be divided. He says in verses 35 to 36, For I come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now you see this kind of thing much more in evidence in the first century that first generation of the Christian church. You don't see it quite as much in our own day, and especially in this country. You don't see it in a a land where, for most of its history, most people, most citizens have been Christians. But in that day and age, homes were ripped apart. Especially within Judaism, homes were literally ripped apart when one member of a family would convert to Christianity and the others would remain within Judaism. This, Jesus says, is what you, as my disciples, can expect. Jesus was carrying into Judaism the seeds of another religion, of a new religion. And what was initially regarded as just one more sect in Judaism was within a generation seen to be a major threat to it. Jesus was bringing great offense into Judaism. And so Jesus knew that what turned out uh, what to be the case was that within a family, some members would embrace Him in faith and other members would utterly reject Him. They would turn from Him. They would despise Him. But Jesus requires, He requires absolute devotion on the part of His people. And this is what brings about this conflict. Verse 37 says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If you love your father or your mother more than you love me, he says, you are not worthy of me. This shift of devotion from members of one's family, which was a a central part of Judaism, which was a central part, you read in the Old Testament, to honor your father and your mother, this shift of devotion is one that only Jesus Christ, as God, can demand. And we saw this when we looked at Jesus' command to the would-be disciple in chapter 8, where he said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Only God can make this command, this demand of a human being. Where he says, Your allegiance must be more firmly with me than with anyone else. Jesus requires of his disciples a devotion that only God can require. And so division and conflict is inevitable in a household where one, one member wholeheartedly begins to follow Jesus and others do not. Well, you can see this then. After Jesus' death in that first generation of Christian believers, you can see this in, uh, with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 and the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3 when they confront this type of scenario in the cases of unbelieving spouses. You see that the seeds of division are already there. And so Paul and Peter, they're dealing with this. They're trying to, they're trying to overcome the potential division that is there. But notice that even though the husband and wife, they might be uh, divided as far as their beliefs. One spouse might have found Christ, the other rejects Christ. 
Even in spite of that, the bond of marriage is not to be severed, they say. 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, If the unbelieving, unbelieving partner separates, uh, let it be so. In such a case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. But if the unbelieving partner does not separate, the marriage is not to be torn asunder. This is what Paul is saying. He says, God has called you to peace. And so here we are. We're back to peace. The gospel is the good news of peace. Peace. Peace between God and man. And you always hear this at Christmas time. You always hear people talking about, you see the yard signs, you see things for sale at Walmart talking about peace on earth. And people talk about Christmas being the time of peace. Well, it is peace only in the sense that Jesus brings about reconciliation between enemies, between God and his enemies. It is peace between sinful human beings and a holy and righteous God. The sinner, the sinner is brought over to the Lord's side when he is reconciled to God. The sinner is no longer an enemy of God. He is his child. And so there is peace between God and man. The sinner will then love Christ more than he loves his father or his mother, more than he loves his son or daughter. The sinner will do this because he is at peace with God. And this is what Christ commands of His disciples. This is what Christ commands of you and of me. Well, let's turn now and look at verses 38 and 39. Take up your cross. When lasting peace is made between God and a sinner, they are no longer enemies. And so the fight between them has ended. But the war continues to wage, doesn't it? The, the, the battle is being waged. Even so. Christians are called to fight in the Lord's army. And so we must take up arms to do battle for God's kingdom. We are called to be a part of God's army. But the sword that we carry is in the shape of a cross. Jesus says in verse 38, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus is commanding you to take up arms. To take up arms on his side. But what you take up is not a sword. It is the cross. If Jesus' disciples want to follow Him, they must take up their crosses. Otherwise, He says, you are unworthy of Me. Now this phrase, take up your cross, it was based on the Roman custom of making a condemned uh, criminal uh, carry the, the object of His crucifixion. He was to carry the crossbar from the place where he was sentenced to the place of death. Today's equivalent would be like telling a a condemned criminal that he has to strap himself into his electric chair. Jesus is telling his disciples that following him means that they are going to die to themselves and that they are going to die to self. They're going to carry their own instrument of their destruction. The follower of Christ will give up his or her selfish desires. But it might also mean, and it did for many of these early disciples, that they would give up their lives for Christ. 
Now, the disciples did not realize it at this point. They, didn't, they were not aware of what was in Christ's future. But Jesus is, of course, making reference to his own crucifixion that will happen in just a couple of short years. He knows what will happen to him. He knows that he will be lifted up. But his disciples are unaware of this at this point. Jesus is commanding his disciples to do what he himself will do. And only those who have been truly made alive by God's Spirit will be able to take up their crosses and follow Him. And as Luke 14.27 says in a parallel passage, it says, He must bear His cross. It is this Spirit-induced, it is this Spirit-powered cross-bearing that makes a disciple worthy of Jesus. It is not done of your own effort because no one has the ability or the willingness, no one is able to bear his own cross. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes you worthy of Christ. Now what does it mean for you to take up your cross? What does it mean for you to do this? William Hendrickson says in his commentary, in the light of full biblical revelation, cross-bearing applied to the believer can have only one meaning. Namely, submissively and in a sense, even joyfully, bearing Christ's reproach. As Hebrews 13.13 commands us. Bearing Christ's reproach. It doesn't simply mean, as is often uh, said in today's common uh, parlance, uh, it's a cross that I have to bear. That is my cross to bear. It doesn't mean that you're bearing some sort of infirmity. It means that you are bearing Christ's reproach. That you are suffering persecution for Jesus' name's sake. That is what Christ means when He says to take up your cross. Taking up your cross in its truest sense is being hated by all. Because of Jesus. And we saw that just a few weeks back when we considered verse 22 of this chapter. The cross is the weapon that we bear, and because of the cross, we will be hated. We will be despised. Because the cross, it points to Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself is offensive, isn't he? Jesus Christ's death on the cross is offensive to sinners like you and me. His cross reminds people of their own helplessness, of their own wretchedness wretchedness before holy God. The cross reminds you and me, it reminds sinners like we, that we cannot do anything to save ourselves. And those unwilling to embrace the Lord, those unwilling to submit to Him, will violently reject Him. They will seek to overthrow Him. And as a result, we who bear the cross, we we bear the reproach of Christ. And a willingness to do so, a willingness to bear that reproach, to bear that cross, will be proof that we are dying to ourselves. We're dying to our own selfish desires. Well, Jesus expands what it means to die to oneself in verse 39, where he says, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, whoever seeks his own interests, whoever puts his life before following Jesus, in the end, is going to lose his life. But whoever loses his life by putting Jesus before himself will gain life everlasting. This is taking up the cross. This is dying to yourself. It is putting Jesus and His glory before your own interests. When you take up your cross, you begin to want 
Not what you want. You begin to want what Jesus wants. You begin to love what He loves. You begin to seek the well-being of other people rather than your own. Jesus' desires become your desires when you take up your cross and follow Him. Now this is impossible for us. This is impossible for sinful human beings if we have not been made alive by Christ's Spirit. Because we are hopelessly, we are helplessly selfish without the transforming power of God's Spirit. If you spend your life seeking your life, seeking your own desires, and indulging yourself, all you will find is yourself, which will lead to your death, everlasting death, Jesus says. But if you die to yourself by seeking after Christ, you will live eternally with Him. You will have found true life. And you will live it all for Christ. This is bearing your cross. Let's look now at the last three verses of this passage. Verses 40 to 42, unified by the cross. This passage has largely been about division and conflict within a chapter which has largely been about persecution. But in the last few verses of our passage this morning, Jesus reminds us of the hope that we have in Him. He doesn't leave us empty and destitute. He says in verses 40 to 41, Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. The cross is not all about division and conflict, is it? It's not all about ripping apart households. The cross brings unity as well. Remember that Jesus is saying these things to His disciples as preparation for sending them out. He's getting them ready to be sent out as laborers into the fields of harvest. And as Jesus sends them out to preach the gospel, when people receive them, they're receiving Jesus. That's what He's saying here. When they receive the disciples, the apostles, they're receiving Christ Himself. Jesus' disciples are His ambassadors. They come as official representatives of the Messiah. And so Jesus further elaborates on this. He says that when they receive Jesus, they recognize that Jesus himself is the one who has been sent by the Father. Jesus comes as his Father's ambassador. And when a person receives Jesus, they receive the Father. Now this is not a picture of conflict or of division, is it? It is a picture of peace and of unity. Even as the cross divides, even as it separates, it unifies. All of those who have been washed clean by Christ's blood on the cross are part of God's family. We are all, all we who embrace Jesus Christ are at peace with the Father. And we are at peace with one another. Our warfare with God, as well as with those who have become our brothers and sisters in Christ, our warfare with one another now is over. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22 says this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus Christ has reconciled you with the Father, 
And as members of the Father's household, you are brothers and sisters one with another. We are at peace with each other. Now this has practical implications, doesn't it? In just a few moments, we who have professed faith in Jesus Christ are going to partake of the Lord's Supper. We are going to partake of communion. This is, a, this is a reminder, it's a memorial, it's a sacrament, which signifies, signifies and seals to us the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It teaches us about our union with Christ Jesus, but also it teaches us about union with one another. And that is why the Apostle Paul, he says that we are to discern the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are commanded that if we have, if we have a, a disagreement with one another, if we are angry with our brother, that we are to leave our offering at the altar and we are to go, to, to go and reconcile with our brother. Why is that? Because we have unity in Christ. And we cannot properly celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper if there is division. Now you recognize this, you know this, that even within your own families, as, as you have division there, we do have division in the body of Christ. We have division in the church. But this is roundly rebuked throughout the pages of Scripture. Paul will ask the question, is Christ's body divided? Can you tear it apart this way? This is not the way it is supposed to be. We are at peace with God. Therefore, we need to be at peace with one another. Now, the Christian might lose a father or a mother because of his faith in Christ. The Christian may lose a brother or sister. And these are no small matters. These are very painful. You know what this feels like to have a son or a daughter who does not embrace Christ, who rejects Him. But the Christian will gain spiritual fathers and mothers. The Christian will gain brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters in Christ. This does not minimize your pain. Each of us has unsaved loved ones. And it is especially painful to know that a child or a parent does not embrace Christ. This is part of the pain of taking up your cross. This is part of the pain of sharing in Christ's reproach. But the estrangement between family members, that estrangement that you may feel between a loved one, is certainly no worse than what Jesus felt when His Father poured out the fullness of His fury on Jesus Christ on the cross. At that moment, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when He was dying for your sins and for my sins, His Father hated Him. He hated the sin that Jesus Christ bore for you and for me. Jesus understands what it means to have division within His family. And though it was momentary, in a sense, it must have been unbearable. Though the Lord Jesus was resurrected by the power of the Spirit, by His Father vindicating Him for what He had done, showing that He was indeed the eternal Son of God, the moment must have seemed like hell to Him. 
as He died on the cross for you and me. Jesus Christ and the Father understand the division that is felt within families because He endured it for your sake and for my sake. And that is why He demands, He demands absolute allegiance to Himself. More allegiance than to your loved ones. More allegiance than to your father or your mother. This is why Jesus Christ can demand it of His people because of what He endured for our sakes. It is just because God the Father poured out His wrath upon God the Son that we have peace with God. We have been brought into full communion with God. And as a result, as a result of this violence upon the Son of God, we have full communion with one another. And this is why Jesus can say in verse 42, And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. When someone gives one of these little ones, the littlest of the disciples, a cup of cold water, he is giving it to Jesus Christ. You are so united with Christ that when someone shows kindness to you, when someone receives you warmly, he is receiving Christ Jesus. And that is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. We celebrate that closeness, that communion that we have. When we take in the bread and the wine, it signifies to us the closeness of communion that we have with Jesus Christ. And what is this reward that Jesus talks about here? He's talked about being worthy of Christ. And now he talks about receiving a reward for those who, who receive him, for those who give a cup of cold water. What is this reward that Jesus Christ is talking about? Well, ultimately, it is being welcomed into the kingdom of God. Ultimately, it is being welcomed as one of God's children into his kingdom. But there is more to that reward. As if the kingdom of God were not enough. God pours out His blessings upon His people. William Hendrickson again, he says, what reward is being talked about here? Think of the peace of mind now. Think of the peace of mind that you have as a believer in Christ. But there's also public acknowledgement by Christ Himself at His return that you are one of His. And ever afterward, all the blessings that are bestowed solely by grace according to works. All of these rewards are bestowed upon you solely because of God's grace to you. It is in accordance with your works. But these works have been prepared beforehand for you to walk in in accordance to them. The works are being done for you by the Spirit. The The reward is everlasting life. The reward is peace now with God. The reward is fellowship with one another. Taking up your cross and following Jesus is accompanied by strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. There is a present blessing when you follow Jesus. But there is a future blessing as well. The cross of Christ has brought you peace with God. Even as you take up your cross and follow Him, you have a peace 
that passes all understanding. But it is also a peace that propels us to speak with one another, to speak with others who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, including those within our own household. It is a peace that propels us to talk with them about the hope that we have in Christ. And this we can do because the Spirit Spirit has given us the power to take up our cross and follow Christ. Let us come to the Lord now in prayer. Our gracious God, You have instructed us in Your Word to take up the cross of Christ and follow Him. And yet we must confess to You, Lord, that this is something that is too great for us. It is something that we are not able to do. We pray, dear Lord, by Your Spirit that You would enable us to do so. We pray, Lord, by Your Spirit that You would give us the strength to bear our crosses. That we, O Lord, would share in the reproach of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that in so doing, we would faithfully proclaim the good news of Christ to others so that they too might know the peace that comes through the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.